Christian Conspiracy Coalition. Without faith, without belief in something, what are we? You know, the hardest thing is to listen, to hear his voice, God's voice. It's a leap of faith. I would rather stand with God and be judged by the world than stand with the world and be judged by God. Welcome to Christian Conspiracy Coalition, a place where the best minds in the conspiracy realm gather to share and discuss their faith, Christianity, and the spiritual war thrust upon humanity. It was said when the walls of Jerusalem had fallen to ruin, one man started rebuilding, and by the time they were done, every man had laid at least one stone. And in that spirit, that's why we gather here today. Each guest lays a stone of faith in this fight they were all a part of today. Let us go around the table. First up, we have a new guest to the show, Hank from the 643 Conspiracy Podcast. Welcome, Hank. Hey, thank you for having me, Drew, man. I'm honored to be here tonight. It's perfect, mate. With your accent, I've got like the the Thanos Infinity Stones of all the American accents going on, so it's working out well. (laughs) Well, I'm glad to participate in the (laughs) gathering of such. (laughs) Next up, we have returning guest, Luca from Justified Belief Podcast. Welcome back, Luca. Hey, thanks for having me again, Drew. No problem, mate. Glad to have you back on. And last, but certainly not least, the boys from Operation Red Peel, Christopher and Jason. Welcome, gentlemen. Thank you, Drew. We really appreciate it. Hey, man, glad to be here. Fantastic, fantastic. Gentlemen, we have three topics for tonight's conversation. Those topics are everything happens for a reason, God working in mysterious ways, secret societies and Gnosticism, and false prophets. Now, before we jump into this, this is where I'm going to nerd out and be like a history teacher because I love this stuff. Um. We're going to go into the secrets of societies and Gnosticism in a little bit, where I'm going to go off a bit of a a bit of a teacher script to give us some background and context around it. But first, let's start off with something that I think a lot of people uh, struggle with if they come into the faith coming from uh, a place of not having a religion or people who have been atheists. When we think about Christianity and what atheists tend to say about it is that they throw away terms such as why do bad things happen to good people? And that's something that people really struggle with. They think that there's this all omnipotent God. Why would he allow things like rape, murder, the horrible things of the human existence? Why would he let those things happen? So is this just our simple existence of interactions in life that are either positive or negative or is everything predetermined? Are we bound by fate or does God truly work in mysterious ways? Who would like to start? I got nothing. I mean, I, you got nothing, Jason? Go I, I, got, I got absolutely nothing. I mean, I think it was so, it was so jam-packed. Well, I think let me part- take a stab at it. Go ahead. We got, everybody wants to talk about free will, but I don't ever think that everybody understands free will as the same thing. Um, I was always taught that, after Christ died on the cross, there was no longer a need for God to immediately intercede with man's daily life. And after the last of the apostles died, so went the age of miracles. But that doesn't mean, you know, we we're still to in all things, thank the Lord, 
and give him credit for everything. I honestly do believe that he doesn't allow or not allow anything to happen. It He's seen the entirety of the timeline that's going to be the instant that he created everything. So he he knows that there's going to be horrible things. It's not for him to stop it for us. It's up to us to stop it for us. We're the ones that got us to this point of doing this to ourselves. He didn't make us do this to ourselves. But I don't I don't I don't think that it's 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 simply a matter of him allowing it or not allowing it. And on that note where you spoke about um not there no longer being a time for miracles after the apostles had left or went upstairs to hang out the the good fella upstairs. That's the idea that a lot of people think man made miracles can be a could be a, a Gnostic or a a human deviation into a godhood, but man-made miracles exist all the time. Take, for example, um, when I was 12 year old, years old, I was playing Aussie rules football. I fell and I broke my arm, both bones straight through and it was hanging. Without the miracle of modern medicine and doctors able to reset that, pin it, put plates in it, I would have died or I would have lost my arm. So there are miracles in a sense that humanity can do for itself. Um which comes back to that idea of free will where it's also a lot of choice of what we do in this world we interact in. I'm one who always just, Oh, go ahead, brother. No, no, you got it. I was going to say kind of going off of what Hank said, man, um, having free will, I mean, it's a double-edged sword where you have the freedom to, choose what we want to do or not do, but others do as well. And some people commit these heinous acts. Now, if like the way I've always seen it is if God had to intercede every single time, somebody was going to do something bad. And what was the point of the free will anyway? And then other people, you, you know, they usually come up with the argument. Well, you know, what kind of God lets evil exist, evil existing life. And, and again, I'm looking, I'm looking at it from a biblical standpoint through the lens of the Bible Evil existing is a temporary status, right? Because ultimately, like the whole Christian paradigm is that Christ comes back. His second coming is to eradicate evil finally and for good and to remove the corruption from us. And then, you know, we live in in heaven here on earth. His kingdom's coming down to earth, right? So I think where people get lost is people who don't really believe in deity or believe in the immortality of the human soul think that this material world is all we have and thinks this is the end. Right. So I could see why some people, you know, have this uh, really poor view about God because all these bad things happen because they perceive this as being your only one life and not anything beyond the grave. But in God's eyes, you know, our life here is, is but a blink, you know, and, this compared to eternity is basically nothing. You know what I mean? And I think it's right to not intercede because, you know, again, what is the point of free will? Like it's up to people to not be savages to each other. And some people just choose to be savages. And likewise too, like that comes back again to the whole uh, Christian view of like what hell is, you know, a lot of people preach hell as being a punishment for doing bad, but we're all headed to hell by the default right? It's your acceptance of Christ and your humility that keeps you out of hell. And God is not going to dwell in a place where he's not welcome. So if you don't accept Christ, you know, you're, you're, you're rejecting God 
basically is what it comes down to. So rightfully so, if you reject God, he's not going to force his presence onto you or live in a place where he's not welcomed. And I, and that's, that's really, I think where a lot of people miss it, man. There's something beyond this life. There's something beyond this material world. And this is not the end. So in retrospect, yeah, it's, it's terrible when something bad happens to somebody in this moment, but in the grand scheme of things, it's, you know, it's a, it's a grain of sand in, a, in an endless timeline. That's just my take on it. Okay. I think it's interesting. Um, it kind of reminds me of this conversation I had with a person where we jumped in to this stream of thought, like midstream, and they were off to the races, right? They already had their idea on what they thought we were talking about and everything. And as I like to do in conversations, I had to hit the brakes. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. We got a multiplicity of different ideas that have just converged in this question that was asked. And we're all acting like, this is what I'm saying to them. We were both acting like we were on the same page, but I'm like, our terms aren't defined. And if our terms aren't defined, then we're going to start moving in what we think is a similar direction. And we could be moving in very juxtaposed opposite directions. I think the same thing happens in conversations like this when we get on these topics. These are actually pretty deep theological topics that most people haven't really been trained on how to think about. And what we have gotten is kind of that armchair theology where we get a really quick soundbite that seems to work. And it, it, it satisfies the 30-second blip, but it doesn't hold up under the full weight and construct of life. Because we haven't dealt with a lot of these terms. For instance, like when Drew asked the question, he threw in fate. He threw in decision. We've also got good versus bad. Like why do good things happen to bad people? Or not the other way around. Why do bad things happen <laughs> to good people? And it's easy to roll off with that. Like, yeah, I've always wondered why do bad things happen to good people? But we don't slow down for enough to go first off to find good and to find bad. You know, Jesus said there is none good but the Father. So the very premise of the question starts to fall out very fast when we can't really say, why do bad things happen to good people who are good people? None of us are good, so we'd have to redefine the question, why do bad things happen to people? Okay, it's a little bit more accurate. What are we defining as bad? Are we defining bad as in what we don't prefer to happen to us? Because, you know, some people be like, I had a bad day, and you're like, well, what happened to you? I got up to work late. That's not really a bad day. You just had some stuff happen. You didn't prefer to happen to you. You know, I lost a leg. That's a bad day. I got killed. That's a real bad day. You know, but we use in English, we use these terms so glibly and loosely that I think the, the definitions get lost. So if we're talking from a theological perspective. Why do bad things happen? Are we saying bad as in outside of what God would prefer to happen? Are we saying bad is in directly related to Satan and his minions? Are we saying bad is in this is the fallout from fallen human nature? Like that's three different aspects of bad. And you, we, we can't uh, fail to discern the difference between that when we ask the question. You get what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. That's actually these... a... So if we go, go down no, the route of, of the... This is the, the the common type of ones you hear of when people refer to bad things happening to air quotes good people, like the innocence of a child, 
you you mm. always see news stories of um two-year-old child terminally with leukemia on the deathbed that type of a thing you see that happen and it's it is absolutely heartbreaking because it is the innocence of a child so naturally the atheistic minded people instantly go to why would a good god allow that to happen to an innocent child but i don't think people quite grasp the the complexities around it like you said jason it's more than just the definitions of the words and how we define them it's the broader story of the spiritual war and everything we're a part of if you're looking at scripture lucifer was given dominion over the earth and you have to think about all the potential ways in which the bad guys air quote they've been messing with humanity do all of these terminal illnesses and diseases things purely exist because of interference would that child have um be predisposed to leukemia at such a young age because of the environment there's it's multifaceted that i don't think it's as simple as a good and a bad a black and a white and why would the white side allow dark things to happen type of a deal so you're right it's it, the theological and the philosophical questions around this this is the type of thing you would sit around at with uh plato and the greek philosophers of the time and they'd spend <laughs> weeks and months on one small subject of just the word of what is good mean Whereas we're trying right. to fit this into a two-hour episode, but you're absolutely right. <laughs> right, but you'd have to break it down because, like, when the disciples came to Jesus, they came to him kind of in, in a very similar fashion. Like when um, I'm probably going to chop this story up, but I believe it was a person who was lame. Something happened to the guy, and the disciples immediately assumed that the reason the guy was lame was because his parents had sinned, right, or he had done something wrong. And Jesus was like, that wasn't the point whatsoever. I mean, that is a cause in certain situations for why people suffer a malady, but it's not the only reason for why people suffer a malady. This person actually suffered a malady just for the point that the son of man could be glorified and as I could show up and heal them, which doesn't fit the standard narrative from a, from a Jewish perspective of bad things only happen to people because of sin. Right there, sure, are, there, are, we lose, there are a lot of different reasons. We lose the fact that that we're told that we're chastised because we're loved. You know, we're put through trials and tribulations simply because we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, and, and our faith needs to be tested. So bad exactly. things could be straight from the man himself. Well, going if off of you what know, you that, and that. Sorry, go ahead, Luca. No, no, no. I didn't. I thought you were done. Go ahead, Kank. I was just gonna say that's why it, what what Jason and and Drew been nailing on the head is is when you ask that question, you're asking so many other questions at the same time that have to prerequisite questions that have to be that could take a man's life to discuss on each little minute point. Because when you start asking questions like these, there, it, it, it it umbrellas and, and splinters and spider webs to everything else, and, and you have to be careful with what you ask because you'll get nowhere quick. Yeah, and going off of what you said, Hank, man, I think too, um, you know, and, and I have to remind myself of it sometimes because, you know, I, I forget. Say It does say that Satan has dominion over this world, but it also says like in uh, when Jesus gave the parable of the uh, the wheat farmer, you know, he the uh, farmer planted good wheat in the field, but during the night his enemy came and planted uh, weeds among the wheat. I think too, that goes back to like, early in in the bible in genesis when nephilim were coming to the earth 
the fact that the Bible also says like we entertain angels and there's angels, I think the fallen angels could very well be here as well, you know, and they're the ones who influence bad decisions, or maybe they take the forms of people who do bad things to good people. You know what I mean? Um, Cause there's, there's definitely, it's a multifaceted uh, discussion as you guys have said. And, and I agree too, man. And I think the issue is people want a simple answer for a very complicated issue. You know, like some people I really think just want to be ma- mad at God. Like, I don't think God is going to afflict the child with cancer. I think it goes back to, you know, things the enemy does, things we have done, you know, with crappy food, uh, just crappy lifestyle living. But also like, you know, and I- I'm not going to go off into the weeds with what cellular entropy is. But if you look at like, you know, Adam, the first man and down the line, everybody was living for a long time. But as you got further and further from the original copy, you know, people start li- living shorter and shorter lives. So I don't think it's so much that God allows it as much as it's a product of sin, a product of corruption and our own like fleshly decaying bodies and then also you know the devil and his little cohorts and unclean spirits and demons and things like that coming in to run amok as well you know so it's really not and unfortunately some people just can't accept that it really is like a a complex answer uh it's not simple it's not just simply oh god god lets this happen because you know he's malevolent or what what have you you know i I think think that's also the, the thing is a lot of times when we ask the question, we're also asking other embedded questions with it. Like, I think it's one thing Mm -hmm. if you sat, if you went to God and you were like, so I don't think you being as powerful as you are and knowing everything that you know, that things slip by you. And I'm sure God would be like, okay, good. We're we're off to a good plateau here. What do you want to, what do you want to talk about? Well, I'm just curious, God, like, why did this happen? What, what's the takeaway I need to have from this? What's the perspective I need to, to channel my mind towards, or what am I not seeing? Okay. That's one perspective of asking that question. Another way of asking that same question of why do bad things happen is God, you suck. Like literally you're sitting up here. You're supposed to be on, on, on par running everything. How did this slip through? How did my kid die? And just, you didn't tell me any of that. What'd you give me the kid for? Like, I don't know who taught you how to God, God, but you're not doing a good job. This absolutely sucks. And I'm not sure if I really want to be part of your whole kingdom, if this is what it's going to be two different perspectives on the same question. And I think if we're not careful, we have to at least look at ourselves to figure out why am I asking the question? What answer am I looking for? And am I open to actually getting the answer? Can I really handle the answer that I get? What are you going to say, Christopher? That's a good point. Well, that's a good point, because the way that you started it off, Drew, the statement was everything happens for a reason, not necessarily that why do bad things happen to good people? And this is different, and I kind of took it a different way when I was thinking about answering it, but one of the the reasons everything happens for a reason is a little redundant, <laughs> but one of uh, – uh, it's so vague that it allows whoever is receiving that information to interpret it however they want. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, technically speaking, an atheist could tell another atheist everything happens for a reason and God isn't part of the equation. Sure. You know, Richard, Daw- I think it was Richard Dawkins says we're just dancing to the tune of our DNA. So anything that happens to you happen for a reason. It's because you're dancing to your DNA. And um, 
when I went to answer this, instead of going to the free will of the individual people, I took it as a question as to the will of God. You know, if everything happens for a reason and you said, you know, God works in mysterious ways, you know, if, if it's, I think a lot of people that say it, it's probably more common in religious circles. So I really doubt that they're just saying, well, it happened because the guy, you know, had too much to drink and got in the car and, and here we are. You know, I, I think a lot of times the insinuation is that it was God's will that this thing happened, right? I mean, it, it, do you guys think that's a fair assessment? Like, that's why we share this? You know, everything happens yeah, yeah. for a reason. It's part of God's plan. This is this is something well, that ties back to, I'm sorry to interrupt you, Christopher, that I'm on this right. new journey of faith and I've got quite a few friends who have almost turned off by the aspect that this is a, a path I'm going down and I, I'm I'm putting everything into. And this actually was related to a question I got from a friend who identifies as an atheist. And it was the, well, why would God allow a child to die of cancer or a child to die in a car crash? It's almost as if, like Lucas said, they hate the idea of God so much that that at the same time they expect this all-powerful God can intervene on a whim. But my counter question to that person was, well, okay, well, instead of asking why would an all-omnipotent God allow this bad thing to happen, why don't you ask why we allow big corporations like Monsanto to create a weed killer called Roundup that causes cancer? There's no actual... um, hard focus on the things that they can control opposed to the broader picture of a God that we can't possibly seek to fully understand. There's an aspect of humanity that we think we know everything and we can understand everything, but we can't, we're just humans. And the idea of of an atheist or someone who questions religion is they're very dogmatic in trying to pull apart and defeat the idea of God, but they won't pull apart the the governments of the world and the corporations and the real tangible things that they can have power and control in. Right. And, and Jason made this point uh, on our podcast a couple of times that when people are asking, um, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? They're not asking, why does God let me do bad things? I was to just good about people? to say that. that yeah. The, the, the horrible things that we do that have a negative impact to other people, that's never brought into question. I'm totally fine with me being able to do bad things, but it's the bad things that other people do that God should take action on, which is a really interesting breakdown to the whole viewpoint of it. At the I mean, same time, I don't throw... find that atheists have an issue with God allowing good things to happen either. For instance, if it's the issue of why did, why did this person have cancer? Where is there also a question about how did this person miraculously get delivered from cancer? Mm. It's kind of like, that's a good point. You know, it's kind of, and I'm not trying to mitigate anybody that's gone through stuff that, you know, losing a child or having terminal illness or anything like that. I, I definitely am not trying to, to mitigate that, but fitting these things into a larger contextual framework, I think is really important. And it really helps to, reveal how we see God and how we see the world. You know, if, excuse me, if God is a being who sits outside of his creation and just watches it run like the, like the, the clockmaker, then you have a gripe in one sense. If God is a being that is inside of his creation is continuing to make the clock run and is dealing with things and getting assaulted by the very things we're talking about, it changes the perspective. I mean, like, if you have to talk about, like, why would God allow something bad to happen to a child? 
it's a different perspective when you think God also went through that very thing with his own child. Like he didn't just step out and let you go through this. He knows exactly not just what it feels like, but also why some of these things really happen. And then I think we have to also realize that we are in a war. And I find that when people forget that we're in a war, we get upset when we get shot at. But I don't think many people who were in a conflict zone would be as surprised. Like, I can't believe that son of a gun just shot at me. Bro, you're in a (laughs) battle zone. Like, you're going to get shot at. But it's not fair. I wasn't expecting to get shot today. You should expect in a battle zone that there's a potential that you could get shot. Well, why do you think, why do you think we got shot today? Like today was a good day. Like, why did, why did this bad thing happen to me? Like, cause you're in a battle zone. Like we're literally in a interdimensional intergalactic battle. And we are both the prize and the pawn and things happen to us from that level as well as the level that we invite certain troubles on ourselves as well. Like I was saying before, I'm not sure if everybody's ready for that level of an answer, you know, where you can look at the thing that's like, how could you let this happen and really be able to get the answer of this is why this happened. And this is what this is supposed to produce. And this life is not all there is, you know, it's totally different perspective. We still take the kid, for example, if a, if a child dies and this is the only life we have, it's a very depressing thing. If a child dies and you get to see them later, it changes the nature of that experience. And I think that if we, from, from an atheist perspective, I could understand why they would appeal to that type of extreme because all they have is this life. They have no framework for anything else. So this would seem completely problematic if this is all there is. But if you put that same question into a larger framework of there is another life, it changes a perspective a bit. And like you said, Drew, if we start looking at the other tangential questions that can be asked, such as if that precious baby's life is as precious as you're intimating, then why do we also allow for kids to be killed in the womb? where's the personal decision with that? You know, do we bring this thing full circle? Why do a lot of these things happen? Because we're able to make decisions in a free will, moral environment. And because we don't tend to listen to what God has told us to do. And we've gotten so good at it that now we even question his own existence. And we use the results of not listening to him to invalidate his existence. It's a very tautologist, circular way of thinking. I think the pro and you brought up a good point, Jason, about like a uh, abortion. The disconnect there is folks who advocate it for it, excuse me, they don't consider uh, a fetus to be a child or a living organism, unfortunately. And I think too, the problem uh, that some atheists have is they have my idea, mine. This is my idea of God, and the God of the Bible doesn't fit my definition of God. And rather than just trying to know God and understanding who God is, what he does, what's going on. Nah, it, it doesn't fit my definition. There is no God. And, so, and I mean, the, some of the struggle, some of the struggle, man, is uh, people overcoming themselves with that, you know, because if you have your idea of who God is and what God is, you know, 
that could be just you, your person, you know, there's a big movement in the new age spiritualism with, you know, the whole, uh, everybody's their own individual God thing. You know, if you adhere to that type of thing and you're the pinnacle of your world and the center of it, you know, that it's, you got to overcome yourself before you could acknowledge the sovereignty of the true God. And that's hard for a lot of people to do. We're our own worst enemies a lot of the time. Well, it's their understanding of what, the faith is in the word is a very surface level cliff notes understanding going back to what jason just said they have no idea about the spiritual war that humanity is a part of we're in the middle of it we're being fought over in this eternal game of chess of the deceiver and god and we're a part of that we're inside that but the surface understanding from someone who isn't religious or of the faith their understanding is uh, God had a son who came to earth and and died for our sins and we all go to heaven when we die. It's very simplistic for them. They have this idea of a uh, a person sitting in the clouds, this magical being that they like to proclaim him as, and that's all it is. But it's so much deeper and so much, there's so much to it that unless they have uh, an understanding of it themselves, they're talking to what their understanding of it is. Like you said, Luca, they've got their Google search analogy of what it would be. And that's it. I think the oh, one thing that you, and you mentioned. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, bud. Go ahead, no, Hank. Get, a, get, get, real, it, real get quick, in there, it's, buddy. It's, it's not a tangent. I, if I could You're offer good, brother. any scripture, if I could offer any scripture to the um, everything happens for a reason conversation, and just playing off of what you just said about how Drew, how nobody has any, you know, deep knowledge that you know really wants to argue about this stuff. I would offer the third chapter of Ecclesiastes. Uh, to the conversation and it's the one that always gets referenced all the time about how there's a time to you know a time for this and a time for that you know I could I'm not going to sit here and read the whole chapter but um, it 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 pretty much covers that if it if it could happen on earth it it the gods already foresaw it it and it, there's there's a time for it so <clears throat> I mean it nothing's going to happen on earth that he didn't foresee yeah. And what I was going to say, Drew, was you brought up, you know, people's lack of understanding of religion. The argument I would make there is you have to break away from religion, because when you understand who Christ is and what a relationship is with Christ, it's not religious, but it's a relationship. And the distinction is, you know, religion is inside of religious institutions, you know, uh, like a like a hierarchy of uh, religious institutions. But there's only one mediator between man and God, right? And that's Jesus. And there's no mediator between you and Jesus. It's just you to Jesus, right? And I think that's where uh, a lot of people, especially some atheists, you know, have this really poor view about religion is because many religious institutions have ruined it for them. Um, I know I was one for, for a little while until I actually picked it up and started reading and researching myself. And that actually brought me closer to Christ than, you know, going to church you know and now i go to a totally new church but you know i had grown up in the catholic faith um and that's why i left it was because when i started looking into these things you know the church doesn't preach about you know how we're going through a spiritual battle sometimes they don't always talk about how hey there's you know nephilim came down to the earth and polluted mankind and all, all these other uh biblical things that really answer a lot of questions many people have so well, on the on the heels of 
you know, trying to better understand God and step outside of particular boxes that, that we have put him in. Um, I have an interesting take that uh, I've not heard many people talk about, and I'm, I'm definitely curious to get, to get y'all's take on it. Because it's, it's right in line, you know, we're saying if everything happens for a reason or, you know, bad things happening to good people, where does this fall in line with the will of God? So I have a couple of scriptures. Romans 12.2 says, you will be able to test and approve that, uh, what is God's will, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Now, to the English ear, this, uh, this sounds just like three particular descriptors to the same will. But we see elsewhere in Scripture, there's a, a passage, I didn't mark it here, but it talks about um, knowing the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of the love of God. And uh, Chuck Missler does an interesting breakdown of that because he says that they're all dimensional properties. And one of the words that, that is used in the Greek actually means time. So it's not just huh. four random descriptors, but it's talking about the four dimensional properties of our existence and that God's love fills that. So if we use the same type of hermeneutic here, the good, the pleasing, and perfect will of God, is it possible that there's three distinct wills in the Godhead, which immediately makes the question, did this happen according to God's will, much more complicated? And I'd also appeal to Jesus's conversation with God in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will be done, but your will. So if he was both man and God, and him and the Father were one, how was there two distinct wills? Well, I think that kind of ties back to in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. You know, I think there's a, a, a law that exists alongside God and they cannot exist without each other. Hmm. I think I'm not sure that's actually, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, you're good. Go ahead, Chris. No, I was just going to say, I didn't really have a good response to that. So you should have just come in and so I didn't look stupid. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say what you asked is a, that's a really interesting perspective. I've never actually considered that the way I would argue it is if God is truly this omnipotent being, I don't think we can fully comprehend all of his, like all of his abilities or how his powers work with our mm -hmm. human minds. You know what I mean? Like the fact that he can have two separate wills, like it, that would be a hard thing to explain in human terms. That's something that is of the divine nature. You know what I mean? The way I would look at well, it, not, I guess, if I could try. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say it's not necessarily that difficult because I've got multiple wills. I would love to have a six pack and a cheeseburger. but mm, That is not where I thought you were the... going with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I heard six and yeah, it got bad quick. <laughs> but no, we get, we get that. But I think the way that it works, because we, we often talk about, and I think we allude to this a lot of times in Christian conversation without really unpacking it, because we say, you know, the perfect will of God. Well, if there's a perfect will of God and there's things that are outside of that, then is there, is there a, a different, like, yes, I would love for things to be this way, but now that they're not this way, I've, I've made a way to kind of, remedy that issue well i think that was the whole know, that's the, oh no go, go ahead good no i was gonna no, say it, I, it's fine. I see i see where you're going with it and i think that is mm -hmm. part of that is god's perfect will being shown to us you know what i mean because you have god the father it's just a way of explaining you know 
the omnipotence of God in his, like, I guess you could say heavenly form. Right. And then he mm-hmm. comes down onto this earth into a human vessel, like, because we're all temples of God with, or I'm sorry, we're all living temples that house the spirit of God. Right. So Jesus mm-hmm. comes, he lives the perfect life. He is showing us how to live and abide by God's perfect will. But because he's human, I would say, you know, he also does feel human things like, I would even say maybe fear, you know, he didn't want to be crucified in the book of Mark. He was sweating blood when he was uh, in the garden, gets said to me. And he, you know, he actually says, uh, you know, like you brought up, not by my will, but by your will father or have this cup mm-hmm. pass me by like he, he didn't even want it. So he prayed to, to God for strength to get this done. But I think that's an illustration of God's perfect will because it's, god performing or showing us what perfect obedience to him looks like so okay okay i I I have another i think just to piggyback off that luca that god's existence on earth living as a human that gave him greater insight into what it means to be human he could understand us better so in a sense that can tie back there to be two different wills the will of what a human is and will of what god's word is because he understood what our will is as a as a simple being opposed to a god it may not be the two are inexplicably linked or divided it's not an mm-hmm. end or type of situation that like what you said, Christopher, about the six pack and having a burger. It's like the will. I, I love my career, but sometimes I hate my job. Like I have a will to leave my job, but I love the career. That's it's, a good point. It's a um a duality that I think exists in a lot of facets of humanity and our lived experience that it's <laughs> once again, like Jason said, we're asking more and more questions from this. It's spitballing out into bigger and bigger things. <laughs> and that's probably the, the value right. of these conversations. Right. Okay. Okay. But I, I had another little hand grenade to throw in at the idea of, <laughs> of God's will holding sway is I don't think God gets everything that he wants. And I think we have this assumption more often than not, because he's all powerful than if he wants something, then clearly he's going to get it. Cause I tell, if I was all powerful <laughs> and I wanted something, then I'm definitely going to get it. I'm getting um, two of but, it. Right. <laughs> right. Right. One to, keep, <laughs> one to keep in the box and one to open up. Exactly. Um, but second Peter three, nine says that the Lord is long suffering towards us, not willing or wanting that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But we know this doesn't happen. Some do perish. So God being, even though he's all powerful because he's given us free will does not get everything that he wants. That's yeah, that's actually a crazy thought. No, that's actually a Gomorrah as direct evidence of that. He didn't, when he first, you know, ordered, I forget who he sent into Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, well, I think it was the angel. He sent the angel to Lot. And like, hey, you got to round up X amount of people. And dude was like, there ain't that many. And so finally, God finally settled on, well, you just get you and what, eight people out of here. And y'all get out, you and your family. Hmm. And then he bombed the city pretty much with his holy fire and wrath. And all he said was, don't look back. God, all God wanted in that moment was for nobody to look back and Lot's wife looked back. And then do you think God wanted to turn her into a pillar of salt? Or do you think he just had to, it was his will had to be enacted because he had already put up the threat that if, if you, if you did this, this is going to happen. 
you know, so I think, I think what you just said about God not wanting or not getting what he wants is very evident throughout the whole book. I think that's kind of the whole point of the book is that we as humanity never give God what he wants at the end of the day. Well, look at the garden. Just try as, look at the garden, Adam might. and Eve. I don't think God ever really wanted exactly. Adam and Eve to be um, deceived by the serpent in the garden. He had these grand plans about perfection in the garden and man being perfect in what they were. But because of man's choice, it went against what probably what God intended for it to be. So like Christopher was alluding to, perhaps God doesn't get what he wants. And that's a part of this spiritual war that we're a part of. We've got uh, the, the great father who has a plan for humanity and what he, ha- he has in store for us. But then we have the enemy, the deceiver, who's moving a chess piece to counter that. And it's to and fro each way. I think it's, mm-hmm. I think it's a good illustration of the love God has for us because if he wanted to, he could get what he wants all the time, but he just chooses not to. And then one thing that Hank had said briefly, uh, Hank, and correct me if I'm wrong, you had said like you think there's like a nat- some some law or a structural law. Yeah, well, my to me, and this is on me, man, because no, I think I'm the only person here that doesn't even believe the teaching of Revelation that I'm, I'm assuming y'all buy into. But I believe like the, the verse that says in the beginning was the word, the word was God and the word was with God. I think the, the word there, it literally means the the law or the essence of what his power is like, like what created everything was that law. Well, and I, I figured that's where you were going. And I actually want to touch base on that because I think this is where some people uh don't realize God is omnipotent, right? And he's all-knowing, right. all-powerful. But, you know, if you have something that has no law or structure, you have chaos, right? So because God is a just, righteous, and a moral foundation, and he makes a moral law, he also has to abide by that moral law that he creates. Otherwise, he's just, you know, he's he would be a, a hypocrite. Well, that, and a, yeah, that, and a, he would be a hypocrite. So he establishes the moral law and then gives it to us, but he himself also has to abide by that moral law. Sure. I'm willing to buy that. Yeah. I, mean, so I, I got I one last thing. Go no, ahead. Go ahead. No, no, you can. I was just going to say, and I, you know, I don't, I don't think it's like a, a separate entity making that law. I really think it's him. Okay. But I had uh, one last scripture to answer the question, you know, um, was it everything happens for a reason? It's uh, Romans 8 to 8. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So I think it's a slight misstep to say that everything happens for a reason, because I think it's intellectually and theologically insufficient to meet the needs for anyone that's actually asking the question or wants to know what's going on. But I think the more accurate statement is not everything happens for a reason, but God can use anything that has happened for the good Mm -hmm. of those that love him and are called according to his purpose. I agree with that. I might push back on that. Okay. Which part? Go for it. Romans 8, 28. Uh, (laughs) Oh, you're going to throw scripture at me. Like I can't possibly argue against that. That's funny. (laughs) Um, No, it's the fact of of saying that 
not everything happens for a reason. I think everything does happen for a reason. I think oftentimes, though, that reason is obscured. And when we throw out the whole everything happens for a reason, a lot of times I think we're doing that, especially with the God works in mysterious ways. I think we're doing that in a means to sidestep the fact that we don't know exactly what the reason is. Right. Like we've just talked about, there's a lot of different things or, or catalysts for why things happen, whether it's a personal decision of, of a human being or a fallen angel, demonic entity, you know, there are a lot of different points for why something happens. So I wouldn't be comfortable with the idea that not everything happens for a reason. I think everything does. But I would be comfortable with the second part of that, which is that God can use those things to work work them together for good. But I don't think if you really went okay. and asked God, hey, why did this happen? You'd be like, I don't know. That is a good question. I'm still working on that. It's It's been itching at me, man. I'm not sure why that happened. I think he can tell you exactly why it happened. Well, going off of that, it might not necessarily be that he knows or doesn't know why it happened. It, you know, he knows why it happened. It could just be because someone's being, you know, a terrible person or because, you know, Satan sent somebody. Right. I'm, I'm going to have to side with Chris on this one. I don't necessarily know that, you know, bad things happen for a reason, but he does use it to his advantage. You know what I'm saying? Like he can, he knows why it happens because, okay, Hank goes and robs me. Well, Hank just did that because he's, he, you know, he's a goon. You know what I mean? Not necessarily that. Yeah. And then God uses that to some end to fulfill his will. Right. But to somebody like me, Hank being a goon is part of the reason for why it happened. Yeah, but he makes that by choice. Sure, sure. But he makes that by choice, not necessarily that God compelled him to be that way. Absolutely. But now we're getting into distinctions of types of reasons. Well, you know, I'm not necessarily saying everything happens for a reason. God directly, you know, manipulated that to happen. Mm -hmm. But I am saying that there are causes for why these things happen in our existence. And I think Job is such a great example. You know, from our perspective, if you're if you're Job, you're like, what the hell? Like I was going along, everything was doing good. And then calamity after calamity after (laughs) calamity. Like what gives God? And then we get to see behind the curtain. Oh, this is what gave. There was an actual wager. I don't want to say wager because it kind of puts it bad. But, you know, Satan's like, hey, I bet you I can get him to curse. Nah, I bet you can't. But we don't well, get wasn't that, that the information. Whole book of Job? Yeah. That was most of it. Yeah, it actually. is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was a good yeah. part. But when Job got <laughs> indignant, when Job got indignant at the end and was like, you know, I have a bone to pick with you, it shifted real quick. You know, it wasn't <laughs> like just, you know, you owed me. And that this wasn't fair, God really pulled the the wig back a bit and was like, there are forces at play here that you got no idea what you're talking about, bro. So you might want to come a little more humble, a little more correct before you start coming with your Samuel Jackson tone. You know, pipe down a little bit. (laughs) And then never really disclosed to Job why it happened. Like, we got it. But Job just got sent off like, that's it, God? That's that's it. Unless you want to talk some more. Hurt me for character development. (laughs) Right. (laughs) <laughs> right, we got that information on the back end, and I think part of that is to help us understand that there are bigger things going on, but it's not arbitrary. And I think in a in an evolutionary world where we see things as random, 
and we don't have real meaning because we're just the byproduct of 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 atoms clashing together that somehow produce consciousness and carbon-based complex life forms. When you adopt that, the idea then that things happen for a very specific reason can be very hard to to rectify because you're told your whole existence started by accident. But if you start from the perspective that you're a created entity and that you're endued with worth and value from your creator who cares about every aspect of your being, then when it comes to why do things happen to me? Yeah, there's a reason for why things happen. And I do care about those things. And it's not random. It's not just accidental. There are reasons. We might have to run them back four, five, six, seven steps, but it's not just random. I think when you have a, a, a sovereign being that is extremely powerful, you can't really adopt the idea of happenstance and coincidence, which means sure. then things are actually part of a catalyst system where there's cause and effect. I think that's critical within a created framework. I think the only way that you can really buy into things don't happen for a reason is when you don't really think that there's a creator. I think this is what leads into the next topic really well. This, like we've discussed, this this is such a big, broad question that's so multifaceted. It really gets down to the crux of meaning, what it means to be human, why these things happen, what are the reasons for it. And this is where I think gnosis or Gnosticism and philosophy really took off because you look at the the entomology of philosophy, it's philo and sophily, which means love of knowledge. And it's this deep, deep human need to understand everything and be able to answer every question possible. I think that's where Gnosticism really took hold and eventuated into these secret societies and what's happening in the world. Now, before we get into this topic, I'll give you that little bit of a an historical breakdown, a bit of a timeline that hopefully should set the tone for this conversation. So during the reign of Emperor Nero, the first Jewish-Roman war took place in 70 AD. This was the first of three rebellions that displaced many of the Jews and killed one third of its population. If we go back prior to that, Herod's temple in 516 BC was repla- replaced Solomon's temple. So this was the second temple. Um, it was which was destroyed by the Babylonians in 587 BC. The Persian king Cyrus made a proclamation that the temple be rebuilt and all Jewish captives be returned to Zion. They were freed and left as a self-governing province of the Persian Empire. From 37 BC to 4 BC, King Harold ruled with a ruled as a vassal king of the Roman Empire, having been appointed king of all Jews by the Roman Senate. He was known as a tyrant. He created a new line of nobility and elected a new line of high priests not connected to the previous bloodlines. Here's an interesting fact about King Herod. He wasn't an actual Jew. Ethnically, he was an Edomite, which is a group which converted to Judaism around the second century. Edom in Hebrew means red, and from a biblical perspective, are descendants of Esau, the elder son of Isaac. Because he was born red all over, some scholars consider the Edomites might have been the Arab people, but this is what we take as a modern uh, misconception. With today, we confuse race with what was actually a linguistic and cultural demographic. If we take into account the Prophet Muhammad as an Arab, 
we need to consider the vast majority of moths around the world carry red hair from his head and his beard because he was a ginger. Now, what I'm trying to communicate there is that we saw, we see a lot happening with the temple, whether it's the first, the second, or the third temple that that will be built. There's definitely an air that I see there historically of a changing of the guard, that there was the original um, knowledgeable elites of the temple, the priest class, and they were replaced. If we look at the Persian king sending the Jews out of his kingdom and sending them back to um, Zion, what was sent back with them? And when you look at the Roman Senate replacing uh, or putting a vassal king in, he cleaned house and he replaced those people. We're starting to see that the original word is being infiltrated by different classes of people and different ideas. So once again, sorry, Jason, that's a very broad, big paintbrush. No, 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 what are you? I don't know what happened right there. (laughs) So I think this is where we start to see in what you would consider more modern times, the basis for where Gnosticism and secret society sprung up the replacement of bloodlines and priest class that would then go on to um, when the Romans defeated the Jews, they spread out into Europe and married into all the royal families. And this is where you see a lot of that Gnostic ideas through Freemasonry and the Jesuit order and the Rosicrucians. We see a lot of that intermingling with the elite class and royalty of the world. It's all kind of stemming back from one point in history where the true people were decimated and replaced by probably agent provocateurs. I guess it depends where you see. So you brought up like, let's say the uh, template for like Freemasons, right? Some of that modern Gnosticism probably could have started at that point. And the reason I say could have is because if you look into like the Kabbalah, which is like the Jewish occult, it stems from the Old Testament and that had been around and don't quote me on this that had been around since the time of Solomon because when Solomon was king you know one of the things he started to do was he started to turn from God and he started he married women who were not Israelites he married women from uh, outside tribes who were you know at the time worshipping these pagan gods and doing all these pagan ritualistic things and one thing you see a lot of in uh, Gnosticism and in the occult is a lot of um, reference to Solomon's temple and the seals of Solomon, the keys of Solomon and things like that. I think it started because some people wanted to maintain the authority of man and they wanted to explain how the world worked and the supernatural, what without God. Because if you look at like the Kabbalah or if you look at like... Um, What's the, there's another real big one, Uh, like some of the new age stuff, like the new age practices, it's, or even Freemasonry. Like I have a whole episode about Freemasonry and how it was influenced by the Kabbalah. A lot of that really started from the Kabbalah because it basically was explaining how God came to exist, but it's not really like God. It's like the essence of God. Like there's not a physical being or a spiritual being. There's just like the essence of a supernatural being or an omnipotent being. So it's like they can, it's just basically explaining the existence of a God without acknowledging a God. And I know that sounds contradictory, but that, that's essentially what you get, especially if you look at some of these uh, uh, new age occult practices that are just, you know, rehashed Kabbalah. 
they acknowledge like this presence of a supreme light, but the light had to come from a darkness. So then you have this whole, uh, uh, I, I, the, I can't think of the word off the top of my head right now, but uh, this belief that, you know, good needs bad, bad needs good. And this whole thing, like they intermingle and stem from each other and that there's this primordial light that's the source of all life. And it's funny sometimes when you read some of these esoteric documents, because they all claim this, there, there's this, uh, you know, primordial light and this astral light and the source of light. And they basically say that this light is supreme and they acknowledge like angelic beings and like all these, uh, you know, uh, demonic beings and all these things, but they don't acknowledge that there's like a sovereign God, you know, they're, they're, they're trying to have. If you believe, you know, you're your own individual God, then where does your law, morality, or your right and wrong really start or stop? And some people's answers to that is, well, good and evil aren't inherently good or evil. They're just the same. I think that's a moral cop out because it's easy to just say that, you know, things are not inherently bad or good. They just are. Well, then you don't really have to make a decision about what is right or wrong or, you know, whose moral compass you have to follow. You can just perpetually say things carry on as is and bad things happen just because or good things happen just because because they need to exist. And it's almost like a way of just explaining infinity or it is a way of explaining infinity, but not acknowledging the fact that at some point evil will cease to exist because, of the, you know, like the biblical paradigm. And one other thing, and I'm sorry, I don't mean to go on a tangent. There's just, it's like, there's a, there's a lot. One thing I find interesting is, um, in a lot of this, these, uh, Gnostic and occult beliefs, like they acknowledge the presence of like angelic beings and demonic beings. But then you have to ask, well, where do those things come from? And then if you say, oh, well, it comes from the light or the dark, well, how do you know what they look like? Because, you know, sometimes you hear people who mess around in the occult being visited by spirits or seeing angels or seeing demons but what do you what does a demon look like what does an angel look like you know we have our pre preconceived notion of what an angel and demon looks like through hollywood through culture right and through media but biblically a demon is is, a, is an angelic being who's fallen from god's grace so it would make sense that those things that people see that are angelic might possibly actually be demonic you know, masquerading themselves as angelic beings. And that's where the danger starts, in my opinion, is because now you're throwing yourself to the mercy of these, uh, you know, spiritual beings thinking that you have a relationship with them or that you can control them because you're your own God. But in reality, you know, they're, they're pulling a fast one on you. And then uh, I think that's where the appeal comes from is because then, you know, the buck stops at you. There's nothing above you, you know, you could basically you could basically justify doing anything you want if because you know everything's inherently good or bad it doesn't really matter so you know do what you want and then the the counter argument with that is well then you have like a lower vibrational level or higher vibrational level or you know you're reincarnated into this material world and you're not breaking free into the astral or what have you but then the question would have to be well who sets that rule you know and pe people it's just sometimes they like to say well the universe well, okay, it kind of sounds like you're calling the universe God without calling him God. And I think that's where a lot of the Gnostic and occult appeal comes from is because you can have these beliefs in like, you know, 
uh, an afterlife and you can do all these things in the astral, but you're not, uh, her- you're not heralding to a higher being. So, sorry, I, I know I threw a lot at you guys. There. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's but, the crux uh, of um, Gnosticism is that Gnosis <laughs> is knowledge. It literally means knowledge. And it's this idea sure. that humanity can become so knowledgeable. We in ourselves can become gods in some sense or some manner. Mm. There's a really interesting aspect to um, some elements of Gnosticism, particularly within um, Freemasonry that, there's a belief that Jehovah was simply a lesser God, um, like a demiurge, like a, a serving lower level God. And his role was to build the world. Um, and their idea is that Jehovah was somewhat of a tyrant because they used the, the, the old Testament, which is very much fire and brimstone that he was this, a lesser God who tried to control humanity. And it was the serpent, which actually gifted humanity with knowledge in the garden and saved humanity. So it doesn't take much for people like us to see through the lines there that that's actually like, it's a tiptoeing into Satanism without actually calling it that. Um, yeah. And that, it's yeah, go for it. Hank. Important to acknowledge who the they is in this situation, because man didn't come up with these ideas by themselves. You got to understand that the world was flooded for a reason back in the day of Noah. There were entities on this earth that were passing out that gnosis, that knowledge, like it was candy to any man that was inhabited the cities of that time, because there were cities in the day of, in the day of Noah, we are told this, we're, we're told of Tubal Cain and, and other peoples that teamed up with the fallen angels. So you would understand why they would present a differing theological opinion that referred to the almighty as a tyrant because they just got you know they're they're they were in heaven you'd probably if you got thrown out of heaven you'd probably think the guy that threw you out you know that's tyrant you know this is earth's not as good as heaven let's cut it you know (laughs) so their their whole plan was if if they're going to listen to us we're just going to Whatever we can fit down their throat, we're gonna shove it, and if it corrupts them, great, because it that was the the start of the war, the war for souls, and that we're still caught up in today. It was that's where I ultimately think all the secret societies, Gnosticism, anything that isn't the word, the law, I think that's where it comes from is the world it comes from the fallen angels i could agree with that because you know even in the old testament prior to the flood they they were coming here to the earth and people were likening them to gods you know and that's that's really what the pagan gods were it was the these fallen angels and uh i don't think a lot of people are aware of that because it's not again that's not something really taught in mainstream church you know sure yeah and the uh the other thing with that too is um so i just completely lost my train of thought it'll come back to me <laughs> but now well, you gotta understand because what is it it's uh timothy says that you know in the end times people mm-hmm. will believe the the doctrines of demons which yeah, you yeah. hear it a lot in 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 christian circles it kind of loses its meaning but it's interesting that it's not all just lies and deception 
but they're like actually teaching the stuff that they believe. It's their mm-hmm. perception of the Most High. It's their perception of Christ, mm-hmm. and he becomes the enemy. Exactly. The, the, the other thing I think is interesting about Gnosticism is that it can't stand on its own. Every aspect of Gnosticism contorts a previously held belief. So it's interesting that they even chose that name, you know, knowledge, when you you don't even have your own foundation to stand on. You're just borrowing from someone else. That Well, they, they kind of had it right, but I've got the real answer on that. It's kind of hard to take serious, you know, from that perspective, when you are reliant on on um, a predecessing ideology to even be able to open the door to a conversation about what you think is right. It's kind of interesting. I can now, further uh, support that by saying that tying it back to kind of the you know the the law that I've been speaking of all night that everything from meet the spirit that dwells within all of us to the fallen angels to lucifer himself to to the christ we're all from this law it just so happens that these angels were all created specifically from this law before we were around these angels were around they know what 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 really is so who better to contort the law it corrupt it to a point that they can feed it to us because it had to come from somewhere. It's not theirs. They, they're just a product of this law, but they understand it and they're able to corrupt it to its most finite point. However they wish, because they understand it. So infinitesimally, you know, it, it's, it will, we have to understand that we're not going to understand certain things as long as we're in our physical bodies, because we're not the by and by yet. There's on there's there's knowledge that we're only gonna get once we check out of this meat suit. And so uh, nobody likes that answer. I don't even like that answer because it sucks not knowing. It seems like we should be able to obtain knowledge. Certain knowledge isn't for us, and that's been our Achilles heel the entire humanity or existence of humanity is knowledge i mean that's what the the fruit of the garden was wasn't it knowledge going off of what you said about some knowledge is not for us i i so i think personally and we'll go back to the the tree of knowledge right you know one of the things with the occult and how they uh push it is well satan right wanted us to have this knowledge and god didn't want us to have it right i would argue against that citing the fact that in the garden of Eden, the tree was already there. I don't think that God never intended to give us this knowledge. I think he intended for us to inherit it once we were ready. And I think that's the other thing. Like I don't personally believe that the knowledge is hidden from us because it exists, or I'm sorry. I believe that the knowledge is hidden from us, not because not for malicious reasons on God's behalf, but because we're not ready. And here's, that's the perfect example is right. Eve took, a bite of the forbidden fruit gained this knowledge, Adam gained this knowledge. And now look at where we are, we're at, you know, we've invited sin into the world. Uh, you know, we wage, we know what warfare is, you know, we know how to sin against God. We know how to commit all these atrocious and evil acts. We know what evil is. So I, I personally don't just the fact that God put the tree in the garden. 
I, I don't think he never intended to give us the knowledge. I just don't think we were we were ready for it yet. And that's when the devil came in and did his little scheme because, you know, the reason he was thrown out of heaven is because he was trying to ascend God's throne, right? So and what so, better way than, yeah, so exactly. Yeah. And so it's like, what better way to try to be your own God than here on earth once you're cast out and make people believe like you, you have their best interest in mind. And if we weren't going to be ready for knowledge in the 900 plus year lifespans that they had back before, you know, we got our lives cut to what, what makes you think we're going to be ready for, in, in a 10th of that time on average, we're lucky if we, if people tick to a hundred nowadays, if we weren't going to be ready at a thousand, what makes us ready in a hundred? No, Luca, that kind of brings bring back the idea of we were intended to have it, but we weren't ready yet. That magical word of yet that probably plays in quite well with a lot of people who see, um, the appeal of Gnosticism, the people who think it could be a great thing because if it's knowledge we're supposed to have, why can't we have it? If it's the, say, seven sacred sciences or the the laws that God was supposed to teach Adam, why can't we access it? And if it, you go down that route, is it more of a why can't we access it or is it the means in which it's being accessed? Because we know that a lot of these secret societies, the occult rituals, they don't do a lot of very um, godly or holy things. It seems to be quite averse to God's teachings and, and and the word. So the means in which they're accessing that knowledge, I would say would be <laughs> very demonic, but then you could see that their reasoning, their arguing behind it probably holds water for their own justification in it. And I would agree with you there too, because, you know, there's the Bible is chock full of stories of people who were practicing, you know, occult divination. They were uh, seers, but not as prophets, but they were receiving sight from unclean spirits. Uh, there's actually one where uh, I want to say it was, I want to say it was Jesus. Jesus cast out a spirit from a woman that was given her prophecy, right? But not prophecy of God. And I think that's the problem. And people don't realize like when you mess with those things, like those powers are not coming from God, right? They're coming from the devil. They're coming from unclean spirits. They're coming from places that want to harm you, not to help you. And the appeal is just, yeah, I personally think a lot of the appeal is just for people who uh, they, they want to buy into that. I'm my own God mentality. They want, they want power, Right. But they want the power for the wrong reasons. And those reasons are to uh, not acknowledge God or his sovereignty. And it's a fear of death. If we associate this type of stuff and this ultimate power and knowledge, we could definitely say that the elites don't really want death. They don't want the consequences of their mm -hmm. life put before them. They want to live as long as they can on earth in this kingdom. They are trying to become their own gods on earth as man. And maybe through those Gnostic um, teachings and beliefs of Kabbalistic practices, perhaps that's what they're trying to achieve. Avoid judgment when their time comes. That's it Probably. right there. Yeah, possibly. Go ahead, Chris. Go ahead, Jason. No, you're good. That's all right. You take it. Okay. I think it's well, interesting. Was... <laughs> <laughs> we got to get the talking stick. <clears throat> I think it's interesting that um, a lot of these, excuse me, a lot of these ideas seem to have their root much further back in the timeline 
than when they immediately show up from an archaeological perspective. Um, you know, this idea of Gnosticism or secret societies, I think we can go all the way back to, obviously, to Genesis. We, we can deal with the garden, but you probably go back further than that. Um, but we, we do see a pattern emerge right there in the garden with the first exchange between the, the serpent and humanity. And that was an exchange over knowledge in a sense. But the knowledge was, do you really know what God said? And so when the serpent came to Eve and Eve started quoting back what she believed God said, the serpent was keen enough to notice uh, you left out, you added a detail. And because you added a detail, which was God said, we can't touch it, which is not what God said. That lets me know that you don't really know what God said. And since you don't really know what God said, it gives me the opportunity to exploit your negligence. And I can actually add in something that's new, new information. And it's interesting that immediately the serpent inverts what God says. So God says, you're going to, you, you know, you're going to die. And he immediately re- inverts that and goes, no, you won't. And I think that's really the seed of Gnosticism, this constant inversion, as we were talking about a moment ago, uh, utilizing what's already there and twisting it upside down. And we find that all the way back to, to the very first conversation that the serpent has with humanity, but it produces these, I don't want to say occult because occult implies that it's hidden. And at that time it wasn't really hidden it produces outright Luciferianism and Satanism. And it was celebrated at those times. And I find it interesting that for Gnosticism today to exist and for secret societies to exist, they have to exist within the vacuum of the people of God not taking a firm stance against it. Because they were actually quite under assault. Like it starts off in scripture, God shows up and he assaults them with the whole flood right? And resets the timeline. Then they come back. They reinstitute the same things. We get Babel. He shows up again, hits the, hits the judgment card, resets it again. Then we get the church and the church is beating them in the head so bad that Manly P hall himself, which is one of the, one of the most renowned, uh, uh, Masons actually says that the rise of the Christian church broke up the intellectual pattern of the classical pagan world by persecution of this pattern's ideologies. It drove the secret societies into greater secrecy. The pagan intellectuals then had to reclothe their original ideas in a garment of Christian phraseology, but bestowed the keys of symbolism only upon those that were duly initiated and bound to secrecy by their vows. Why all the secrecy? The secrecy is there to protect these institutions from the power of the church stamping them out, which is exactly what mm-hmm. should happen. And we, yeah. we see time and time again that when that does it, they're able to flourish. And they're able to come, they're able to transition from being a secret society to being an open society. And I think we see that transition happening right right in our face right now. So I think Christopher, you had a whole idea that you were pointing out with this, like that dated back to like 300 AD. Yeah, I did. Because uh, we, I was actually preparing to uh, share it with uh, John the Fed on, you know, how the hell do we end up here? But we had some scheduling issues. So you guys get to be the first to hear the, the spiel. 
But it's interesting because the the followers of Yahweh from a um, an Israeli perspective or a Hebrew perspective, they were told that they were not to mingle with the other nations, right? They were to be separate entirely from these other nations. And then Jesus shows up and he tells the church, go into all of the nations. Now we're on the offensive, which is a complete game changer because there wasn't really a need for secret societies and pagan cultures. We were, you know, we had high priests, we had oracles, you know, you, you paid the sacrifice, you do the thing. I mean, it was kind of just on its face, right? But in 300 years after Jesus Christ came, Christians were able to be a force to be reckoned with against the 2000 year old pagan Rome. So much so that Constantine had to claim to be the first Christian emperor of Rome Right, in quotations, because it's interesting, in his first address to Rome, he tried to convince everyone that Virgil's fourth ecologue actually talked of the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ. Virgil's work is so pagan, it's ridiculous. It talks about Apollo and, you know, him being this this great leader in the, um, uh, what is it, the, the reign of Saturn. And I mean, even the, uh, what is it, um, Ordo Novo Seclorum, I messed that up. Ordo, Novos, I can't remember. The, the Ordo Seclorum. Thank you, Jason. On the Great Seal of the United States is taken from this writing of Virgil. So at the very beginning, as soon as, it, it's crazy that in 300 years, a persecuted group of people was able to, because of um, their their following Jesus Christ, their infilling of the Holy Spirit, their dedication to a my, uh, a life of the mind, threatened the Roman Empire so much so, like Manly P. Hall says, that the secret societies had to then take on Christian phraseology and go deeper into secrecy. So the the formation of Catholicism. And Rome claiming that they had become a Christian nation. And it was uh, 80 years later that Theodosius made Christianity the state religion of Rome while still holding on to all of the pagan holidays and pagan practices. They just took on Christian names. I think this is one of the reasons that we have such a hidden hand in, in, in secret societies because they're scared to death of Christians being Christians, of people being Christ followers. Well, I think that's why they infiltrated the church, right, on multiple levels and royalty. They knew that the the word and the followers of God would beat them down. They would destroy them. So they were driven in deeper, and the deepest point, the most safest point, was within the church itself and within the, the kings and queens who ruled over those nations, so much so that what you were saying, Jason, about they no longer have to remain hidden. Well, the Templars are a perfect example of that. If I go back to Revelation 4.4, the surrounding of the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their hands. Now, within Freemasonry and the occult, it's suggested that these 24 priest class, they fled um, Israel when the Romans destroyed it, when they took over and they fled off and they went into Europe and hid themselves within the Royal families and the, the secret societies. Well, who came back during the crusades, the Templars, the Templars say they are from one of those 24 priest classes. 
Did they come back to simply wipe mm. out Islam, Islam from the Holy Land? In some small capacity, yes, but they also went back to get back the ancient teachings of the Kabbalah and the secret knowledge that was left there by those priests. So you've got this combination of the hidden occult being out in the open while trying to perceive itself as a part of the church or a part of the word where they've got their own agenda at the same time, just purely for survival. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, but they're setting the the stage for them to take over. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. Because one of the things that we talk about on our show a lot is the satanic control matrix. And we we break it down into three sectors. Sector alpha is demonically influenced education. Bravo is satanic mind control. And Charlie is the new world order. And we see this happen immediately when Rome becomes, quote, unquote, Christian, when they become Catholic. So we have um, Constantine's um, first address to Rome, and he's trying to re-educate Rome that these pagan writings of Virgil are actually talking about Jesus, right? So we get demonically influenced education. And then we get 80 years later, like I was saying, Theodosius makes Christianity the state religion. So you get satanic brainwashing because how, how can you fight against, you know, an entire nation that believes this? And then like you were saying, Drew, the crusades, the new world order, sector Charlie, you know, they begin going out and occupying land. And I mean, right there, at the uh, 300 AD began the formation of the satanic control matrix in response to Christianity infiltrating these pagan nations. And this is the, the point that I tried to communicate earlier, and hopefully it wraps it up now, that what happened with the Catholic Church, the, the formation of the Catholic Church, that was just a echo of what already happened in um, Zion when we had the Persians, who we know what their gods were, and they were connected to, to the fallen, when they released the Jewish people and sent them back to Zion. They sent them back with people to create a, a bastardization of what the word was. They created essentially like the pre-Catholic church. They had people put okay. in positions of power to create um, an open occult kind of a, an approach to the, to the Jewish scriptures and the heavy use of the Kabbalah. It's like, that was the precursor for the Catholic church. We know that they've been infiltrating elements of physical churches or physical religions or the institutions of religion and it just seems to be that the one thing that it's the only thing they can do it's the only place they can hide and and be safe because if they were just out in the open with their beliefs completely separated from christian or um the word it'd be very noticeable what they're about they can hide behind it they can put on a mask and they can hide themselves in plain sight while at the same time still push their agendas I don't know if they have to, I mean, now, especially with like new age Christianity and the new age movement. And like, when you really look at what it is, it really is the Kabbalah, you know, relabeled. I don't even think they're hiding it anymore because a lot of people really, from what I see, and please feel free to correct my perspective. A lot of people don't believe in the supernatural. They don't really believe in God anymore. You know, they're, they're, there's a void in a lot of people and they're looking for answers. But because we have all these different denominations, because you have the Catholic Church that is so massive and people akin Christianity to the Catholicism, but even though it's different, you know, they're looking for they're looking for an answer to their questions and for an answer 
to uh, that emptiness that they're feeling. And then they stumble into the new age. And really that's where that occult belief in the Kabbalah really sinks, sinks its teeth into people who don't have a foundation of God anymore. And then it's hard for them to come out of that. Yeah. I, I agree. I think though, I've wondered if people are actually believing less in the supernatural. I, I, I think so, man. Well, here's why I wonder if maybe that's not the case. There seems to be so much hunger for, let's say, um, taking a look at in the entertainment industry, for example. There's so much of a drive for supernatural content. Mm-hmm. You know, Marvel, DC, what have you. People are, are eating that up. There's a, an increased drive for the occult as far as uh, getting into Ouija boards and other forms of, of dark magic. Uh, and then you have the constant fascination with demonology. I think that people have a, a natural bend to recognizing the validity of the supernatural. But I think it's kind of like Dan Duvall says, there's this false reality overlay that's constantly put over the minds of people of saying, don't pay attention. That doesn't exist. This ain't going on. But then we find so much supernatural stuff that's being stirred up. It's just normally stirred up from the opposite direction. Like, why is why are alien? Uh, what do they call that? What's that thing on History Channel? Ancient the, aliens. Um, ancient alien. Yeah, yeah. Ancient. Yeah. Why? Why is that so popular? Like, if for a, for a scientifically oriented community, the idea of ancient aliens should be preposterous, unless on some level we have a collective understanding where we do believe in the supernatural on some level why are ghosts and goblins and ghosts it's like we've got a yearning all- for it it's we've replaced the spirituality and um the demonic side that you do see in scripture and we've replaced it with something else that's less offensive to the the modern person where like you said exactly. ancient aliens um monster quest was huge on history channel it's like people yeah. are uh, hmm. hungry for that spiritual side without necessarily having to commit to something it's a weird little dance that we do you know like i'm getting back to like evolution for it for a moment because i think it helps to really establish the springboard for this conversation uh we treat evolution like it is the thing that created everything right but then at the same time we're going to give it personhood like how how does an impersonal thing like quote-unquote evolution and random forces actually create like that's a personal thing that comes from a personal mind. You can't really have that. I think we do the same thing with the supernatural. We we begin to distort reality and we say, well, this stuff doesn't exist. And then because it does exist, we have to give an answer for it. But that answer now is curved. You get the Gnostic answer. You get an inverted answer. You know, the supernatural doesn't exist. However, all your celebrities are now starting to tie that little red red mm-hmm. ribbon around their wrist mm-hmm. and they're getting into the Kabbalah and you've got Carlson. people like Madonna. You've got people like uh, uh, Taylor Swift. You've got a whole lot of people that are doing supernatural stuff. Why is Beyonce putting portals on her shows? Like, that's not a scientific thing. Like, what? why are so many people paying top dollar to go see a portal? Why is Jay-Z holding triangles over his head? Like, why do we even believe it? Why Why was it like, this is halfway cool? Like, somebody should have been like, are, are you promoting geometry, Mr. Z? Is that is that what's happening? Is that a geometric symbol? 
Or is there something Geo. deeper? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm just trying to understand, bro. Can you, can you help me out? Oh, you're preaching esoteric knowledge. This is a little different. I didn't think that stuff existed. You know, for the United States to be such a scientifically based community, it baffles me how we have so much pagan iconography everywhere. Like, I don't mm-hmm. get it. I don't get how it's on our capital building. I don't get how we have an all seen eye on the back of our dollar. I don't get why we're appealing to Apollo and all of these other gods. I don't get why all of our space missions are men- are named after Greek gods. I don't get why our military has got, it seems like, uh, agreements with with demonic entities that we put the names of other gods on our weaponry. Why are our weapons called named after Vulcan? Like, this stuff makes no sense. Why do you keep telling me that the supernatural doesn't exist, but then you keep giving me all these examples where it does? Doesn't add up for me, unless unless it does exist. You want to give me a different message? You want to tell me that, I see now the God that you hear about in the Bible, it ain't really that way. Now, we, we couldn't tell you the supernatural really existed, but now that you're on to it, you know you're an enlightened one, you've elevated yourself, let us show you a little bit more about this supernatural that you you seem to know about and then we get conditioned for it for the okie doke all and of a sudden now a, we're buying into it yeah and that's the a good key point you brought up man is like in all these esoteric and occult beliefs they always talk about enlightenment oh you you have to be the elect or the enlightened or right. you know only the elect or the enlightened will understand this doctrine and that's a dangerous precedence to set because you know, if you go into those circles and a lot, some of it, like, especially like I, I've read through the Kabbalah, some of it genuinely doesn't make any sense, but they always hit those right. points that don't make sense with, well, you're either profane or you just don't understand. And then the problem becomes if you're somebody who's so thirsty to try to learn these secrets and you're going to follow somebody who claims to understand it, but you they may really it. not. Yeah. And you just right. accept that. Okay. Maybe this person understands it. I got to follow them or I got to listen to them and that sort of deal. But in retrospect, it just, it appeals to, to our narcissistic nature. Right. And if you don't have a framework to resist that, it's going to envelop you. And the framework is God because putting God's sovereignty and putting God above yourself, but some people can't do that and they fall into those things. That's why it appeals to, in my opinion, that's why it appeals to many people to be you're your own God. You're learning all these secrets from the foundation of the world that God didn't want you to know, you know, and now you're learning them. So it's right. And it's always put in a way that challenges God's character. You know, God didn't want you to know this because he sucks. You know, like it's so funny. Just like say that in a, in a Western Christian mentality, because you're not a world, because you're not allowed to say that. You're not on the playground with all the toys that doesn't want to share. Because he doesn't want yeah. you to have them yet. That's what it is. <laughs> right. But to, just but to close so out. Often, <laughs> that's like the thing. That, that's the way that we present God. And I find it so fascinating that the secret societies and Gnosticism constantly attack his character while still having to borrow from his framework that he sets up in order for them to, to exist and to try to gather appeal from, from everybody else. I wish that we as the church had a better understanding of the real power that we do have. And the fact that even our enemy is basing their existence off of our playbook, so to speak. Yeah, it's, it's our like plays inverted. It's like they've taken We're, our book and put deluxe on it. It's the deluxe version, so it's slightly <laughs> right. deluxe edition. I, I'm just going to close out this topic quickly. I'll just quickly close sure. out this topic. Here's a bit of a, a thing I came across because I'm a big word nerd to leave people with just on this one topic. 
to go back to the Templars, we know they were accused of um, being followers of the Baphomet. It's actually really interesting if you use the at bash cipher. So the at bash cipher was a cipher that used the Hebrew alphabet, inverted it so Z would be A, and further down the line, that's the cipher they used to keep the um, the Dead Sea Scrolls secret and kept it in circulation and survived for so long. If you add the at bash cipher to the word Baphomet, it comes out as the word Sophia, um, which if you translate the Greek Sophia into English, it literally means knowledge. So it's mm. all about that that pursuit of knowledge and understanding. I think that's the the one idea that Gnosis is about. It's the idea of man becoming bigger, more knowledgeable, becoming God itself. And in through that, through that lens, this is where we see false prophets come into the world and people presenting mistruths um, to humanity. Now, false prophets can be both gods or they can be people. They can be gods presenting themselves as big god, lowercase gods, I would say, low G, little g, or people present themselves as knowing the word, but they're presenting it in a different manner. Jeremiah 14, 14 said, Then the Lord said to me, The prophets are prophesying lies in my name. I have not sent them or appointed them to speak to you. They are prophesying to you false visions, divinations, adulteries, and delusions of their own minds. A false prophet is simply a person who spreads false teachings or a message while claiming to speak on the word of God. In the Bible, a false prophet also spoke on behalf of the false gods. False prophets functioned in their prophetic role illegitimately or in the purpose of deception. The Bible denounces false prophets and leading people astray. We see false prophets throughout all of history. Even within recent history, a lot of people might say that Joseph Smith is a false prophet based on how he created the religion of Mormonism. You could say the same thing with Al Ron Hobbit in the creation of Scientology. Anytime you have a human that speaks, says that they are speaking on behalf of God or a self-appointed prophet, that's when we re- really should question those people. This brings to mind one such person in history. Zabbatai Zevi was a Jewish rabbi who started a heretical cult in 1666. Very on the nose with that date, by the way. He proclaimed himself as a Messiah, developing a massive following built around a doctrine that redemption can be the only way to experience the indulgences of the world through sin. With sin considered a holy act, his group engaged in a religious um, fervor of religious, religious sacrifice, incest, adultery, and homosexuality. This group, known as the Sabbateans, have infiltrated the highest echelons of political power, world, and might. In a sense, the Sabbateans have been sabotaging the cultural foundations of our world. Sabbatai Zevi is history's most famous Jewish convert to Islam. After being threatened with death penalty over or conversion, he took a, his Kabbalistic approach into Islam of its time. The Ottoman Sultan at the time gave him three choices, which is really funny. Um, he tested his divinity. He said, you can stand in the field and my soldiers can fire arrows at you. And if you truly are a prophet of God, the arrows won't hit you. You can be beheaded or you can convert to Islam. He gave him 12 hours to make a decision. And then he came out into the Sultan's foyer and put a turban on and said, I'm, I'm Islamic. I'm a follower of Islam now. <laughs> so this guy created a cult around the whole idea of the only way to be saved was to experience sin. And he developed a huge following across Europe and Southeast Asia. So that's, that's one that's, example of a false prophet. Well, that's a good example, too, of 
Kabbalistic teaching and what what the occult is because you know one of the teachings of the Kab uh, excuse me one of the teachings of the Kabbalah is that the the divine excuse me the demonic is rooted in the divine and you see and that's where that whole you know good and evil is the same the yin and yang thing comes from is that good is the is rooted in the divine the divine is rooted in the demonic and that that whole thing. And that's a perfect, actually, what you just described is a perfect example of justifying wrongs when you think there's nothing inherently good or evil. So these sins that God tells you is unhealthy for you because it abuses your body or other people are suddenly nothing but indulgences, you know? And that's another thing, too, uh, teaching of the Kabbalah and esoteric uh, belief is that there is no God. You know, there's just the essence of of a supreme being, that God can't exist if we don't acknowledge him and people fall into that. And I think that's why a lot of false prophets gain a lot of traction because if you look at like, if you look at the Bible, you know, a lot of people like to say it's a man-made religion, but it goes against all the desires of man. And I, I've, I've had the, somebody actually told me that recently because I never thought of it that way. But some of these other religions, like it, they, they, some of these occult, like some of these, excuse me, some of these occult religions like Thelema. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of the religion of Thelema by, yeah, it's Aleister Crowley's thing. The word Thelema, if I'm not mistaken, is Greek and it means by your will. So just living by your will, doing what you want. And again, that's, that's the basis of a lot of this occult doctrine is just doing things that you want. So I could see how, you know, false prophets preaching that really gain a foothold and get a lot of a lot of uh, uh influence behind them because it's doing things that you know that your flesh craves like take mormonism for example having multiple wives god says to only have one you know be be have one wife be devoted to one person but our fleshly desire is to be with many different women and that's one that's one of the things in mormonism is having many different wives the religion of the Lima do what you want. It actually Jay-Z had a shirt and I think some people thought it was biblical. It said, do as thou wilt. That's actually, yeah. that is actually straight from the book of the Lima by your will, do by your will, do the things you want. Which brings us to the idea. And, we we know that, sorry to cut you off there, Luca. Um, no, you're we, good. we know that Crowley was communicating with entities that, really are in that bad spectrum like lamb and mm -hmm. the other things he communicated with so there's always the issue of even if someone comes across as they genuinely think they've communicated say with the archangel gabriel or any of god's um messengers or god himself how do they truly know they've communicated with god and i well, think they if, if, if they, they they as humans we don't know and this mm -hmm. is where the idea of false prophets has become now the cult leaders heaven's mm -hmm. gate all of these different groups where it's a self-proclaimed prophet it's not other people that have identified this person as a prophet mm -hmm. they're self-proclaimed mm -hmm. and when you have See, self that's why sorry go for it jason i'm sorry i didn't mean to uh, interrupt you but i was going to say i think that's why scripture talks about we have a more sure word of prophecy the the way that you avoid that level of deception is you have to be grounded in god's word because he doesn't give you things that contradict his word. That's like the litmus test. 
So you may have a spirit claiming to be Gabriel, but listening to what it says, first off, figured out how you got in touch with it in the first place is normally a good step to figure out, are you outside <laughs> of the proper, you know, hmm. guidelines or not, you know, doing, doing a cult ritual and killing a baby. That is not the way God tells you to, <laughs> to talk with him. I don't care who right, the spirit tells you it channels. is. <laughs> exactly. These are backdoor unofficial, and we don't acknowledge that. Hey, DM me on Twitter. Does that count? Yeah. No, no, no. We're we're coming straight through scripture. Uh, I think that's that's one of the principal ways that you avoid that level of deception. Um, but I wanted to go back for a moment to Sabatain Zevi. I thought it was really cool that you you mentioned him. I find a lot of times that when I'm talking to, um certain people of the faith, there's this idea that I'm just one person. What can I really do in this world? Right? What type of real effect can I have on the day to day? I think Sabatay and Zevi is such a really interesting example. One dude sets up this completely asinine religious perspective of you can bring back the Messiah from one of two ways. Either you have to do complete good and you bring him back that way, or you have to bring him back through. You do complete bad, like complete lascivious debauchery living. <laughs> and of course, we can't go the good way. That's just too hard. So we might as well go the bad way. And we're just going to go full flung into this. Well, what a sales pitch, once he... the bad side has sex. <laughs> Everyone loves that. <laughs> <laughs> See, that that's the that's the uh, that's the easy sales pitch, but nobody checks the warranty work. No, like just all. having lots of sex is one thing. Sex with what? Nobody wants to talk about that. <laughs> That's a good point. Didn't read you the fine print on that one. <laughs> I'm just saying, yeah, you slapping yeah. hands like, yeah, we fit to knock boots. Yeah, you might be knocking hooves. Nobody <laughs> wants to go down that whole thing, right? But but then he he gets this thing where uh, he was supposed to be uh, the Messiah. He gets he dies. And so he has this follower that comes up, Jakob Frank, and he's supposed to be his whole uh, uh, 17th ZV raised from the dead. And he sets up this whole Frankist component of, of Kabbalism. And he takes it to the nth degree. Like we thought all oh, dude before me was bad. We finish shift gears. So he ends up becoming someone that influences the Rothschilds. And I believe he helped convert the Rothschilds over to being not just Kabbalists, but particularly Frankists. The Kabbal- the Rothschilds end up helping to set up the Federal Reserve System and the Central Bank in the United States. With the Federal Reserve, the Federal Reserve turns out becoming the central model for central banks globally. And now the Rothschilds are running everything. But all of this happens from one dude who sets up this idea of, well, let's just go full bore Satanist hmm. seems to me like one person can have a tremendous amount of impact on humanity, which if that's the mm-hmm. case, getting back to this false prophets thing, we have to be very careful what we buy into, but we also have to be careful not to shortchange the power that God has given us because I don't think Sabatay and Z was sitting there going, I'm just one guy. What, what impact can I have on the world? Yet here we are sitting in lockstep with God going, man, you mean if I pray today, it's really going to make a difference? Do you mean if I sit and talk to this person over here, it's really going to help? Do you mean if I sit and pick up this book and start reading and start learning a few things that it's going to make a big difference in the grand scheme of things? 
Yeah, it really could. Because your enemy is just only got one or two people, you know, one-offs here, offs there. It's just that they're committed to the course. And in many respects, I think they're more committed than we are, which is really sad. Because I think, again, we give up ground. We open Mm -hmm. up the door for our enemy to exploit our weakness. And if we actually stood 10 toes down and really fought, we'd push these secret societies back. We'd push these ideas like Gnosticism back into the ground. We'd have false prophets that do the same thing like, you know, Elijah. Cool. You're going to tell me that your God, that Baal is real? I'm going to put it to the test. Let's find out. I was, re- I was watching, um, not watching, I was listening to Blurry Creatures. I don't know if any of you guys follow them. Oh, yeah. They're good. Okay. Did you, yeah, did you hear the <laughs> recent episode that they did with the, um, I, I took in, I think it's Anton LaVey's daughter. I adopted Anton LaVey's No, daughter. I've been meaning to listen to that one. Oh, dude, you got you to check that out. It was such a dope episode. But the thing that blew my mind about this episode is, uh, see, I don't know if I can say this because I don't want to spoil it for people. Near the, the way the episode ends, um, God literally is talking, the guy's telling the story. God normally actually tells him, pray for this particular thing to happen. And it seems like a weird thing to pray for. But the guy goes, okay, and he does it. And by doing it, he literally changed the course of history. One prayer in obedience changed the historical course. And I know it's a little vague. I just don't want to add spoilers for people. <laughs> but what it does for me is, is again, emphasizes the point. We are way more powerful than we think if we actually walk lockstep with God. We got more power than false prophets, mm-hmm. right? We've got more power than these false religious perspectives. We got more power than these false ideologies. If we plug in to these, to the, uh, the most high and access with his permission, the power source that he has, it outranks all of these other sub powers. And it makes life way more interesting. Like we don't have but, to be the, the, the thrower out getting beat. We actually can do the beating. I know that sounds kind of bad. That's what we're doing now. <laughs> we're, we're placing, we're having these conversations. We're placing stones. We're mm-hmm. rebuilding that wall all together. And that's where, that's where it all starts off. Right, but I want to throw some stones. <laughs> I, I, want to, I want to hit some spears in the head. The hard part Ooh, with that. that stone worked. Like you, and you, I agree with you, Jason, in that regard. But the hard part is like what you said, right? It's in obedience to God. You plug into that power. Yeah, but people want that. People want it now. They want that fast route. And that fast route is the occult. And it's not into God, but right. it's into like demonic forces, man. And that's really the appeal goes back to again what we've been talking about this whole time it's just it appeals to uh people who cannot humble themselves before god and that's really how you do that part of that litmus test with you know what spirits are you talking to like you have to humble yourself gabriel if you know who gabriel is is not going to herald himself to you you know what i mean to a regular human person he heralds to to god He's not going to be heralded by you or called by you or appear to you unless you know, he's commanded to Christopher you by God. That. Right. I was telling Christopher, I was like, how do you summon an angel? Exactly. Like, yeah. I'm not sure how you really do that. Like the angel was busy doing angel business. Yeah. Got sucked <laughs> out of a portal, showed up in your kitchen like, bro, <laughs> do you know what I was right in the throne room a moment ago? What am I doing here? 
I summoned you. Listen, I need to know about tomorrow. Like, do you know the way the pro- you would end up in a pillar of fire summoning uh. an angel that did not want to be summoned? Like, this is wild stuff. I don't know how people do that. I'm not trying to summon an angel. I just really had the balls for that. Maybe it's one of those yeah. situations where, you know, people, they see a celebrity and they go, man, I'd really love to hang out with Mel Gibson. He seems like a really cool dude. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the angels won't want to hang out with me because I'm so awesome. They just hang out with me because I'm cool. <laughs> okay, now, now, now I can roll with that, Drew. But every time in the scripture when they showed up, they had they were preceded by this one little phrase of don't be afraid. Not like you're so awesome. What's up, Drew? <laughs> it was like pick yourself off the ground, man. You're leaking. Like like that stuff right there is not fun. I hate showing up to human beings. You guys always start leaking and hitting the ground. This is annoying. Right? They show up and we like we freak out. I don't I don't know if they really want to hang out like that. But the idea that you could just summon an angel, like that to me is a huge level of hubris. And then go <laughs> off of what he told you. Like, yeah, I was talking to Gabe last night and he just told me, you know, if I play these numbers right, we're going to be okay. You know, we can get this lottery going <laughs> real good. Like out of all the divine stuff Gabriel could tell you, was that? I don't know, man. I don't think you were talking to the Gabriel. Lord, speaking I... about, about uh, being shook and freaked out and a mess on the ground, got a quick story for you all. Christopher and Jason. One of my listeners sent me a message like, man, those guys you're hanging out with, they're no good. I'm like, what are you talking about? Those red pill guys. I'm like, yeah. Well, you know, they did an episode and they said that Jesus was a false prophet and the Antichrist. I'm like, no way. Get out of here. Went through your catalog, listened to everything. No, they haven't mentioned that. I'm like, what what podcast was this? Operation Red Pill? Oh, no, it was uh, Red Pill Cartel. I'm like, well, there you go. That's your problem. (laughs) I'm like, man, I'm sitting here. I'm shaking with anger over that idea that, that, no, they would not say that. (laughs) Then I'm like, why would Red Pill Cartel say that? That's messed up. Right. Now, I feel like we got to get Operation Red Pill like trademark. (laughs) Dead, definitely. (laughs) Right? Well, well, let me me run some defense right quick, because I know Davey Wavy from Red Pill Cartel, and, and he does not believe those things. Said, right, I, I, I listened to that episode. He seemed to be really on board with that guest about it. Very Gnostic views. Well, mm-hmm. When I've talked to him, he didn't seem to float that way. Maybe maybe I don't know him that well, but I, I felt like a disclaimer should have been thrown in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> well, I'm, you know, I, I don't know him, but maybe he was just, you know, going with the flow of the uh, the interview, you know, just exchange of ideas type of deal. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope so. But for the record, we do not believe that. Yeah. Right. Just to make sure right. it's out there. Right. That'd be that'd be awkward <laughs> if you did and you were here. I know, right? Surprise, we've infiltrated your entire Christian little thing here. We got some Gnostic ideas we'd like to share. Because we got one in mind, right? <laughs> right, right. We're bringing back this whole Frankist thing, but we're going we're gonna to turn it up a notch. <laughs> You can have sex with everything, butterflies to people. What'd you say? Kind of you what? Throw... Sorry, go for it, Hank. No, go ahead, man. I was just saying you had to throw in some Operation Monarch there with butterflies. It's all starting yeah, to stack yeah, up, yeah. Jason. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? We're making moves. You didn't even see it coming. No pun intended. <laughs> no, but kind of what you were saying just a second ago jason to think that we as a human being have the authority 
to summon an angel like like that's even within our realm of possibility it, it, it's really almost it, it i don't I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the correct adjective to use right there but it it takes some ego stroking you know <laughs> like you 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 are really full of yourself if you think that you even have the the a, a grasp, a glimpse of the power that it would take to for a human being to summon an angel. Yeah. I was watching well, this moment ago. I was watching this uh, thing. I think it's called um, River Monsters. I don't know if any of you guys have ever seen that show. And uh, one of the guys is an angler and fisherman guy, and he was hunting like giant crawfish, like the size of huge lobsters. And he's putting his hands in the water and he's with another dude. And the guy's like, you might want to make sure you grab it the right way. Cause if you get near the pinchers, it's going to take a finger off. And so he's reaching through the water, trying to get it from the tail end. So you can reach up behind. So the pinchers can't get you. And I'm watching the whole thing. And I'm like, there is no way in hell. I will stick my black hand into this water <laughs> to grab this lobster and bring it up just for the sake of looking at it. That is a crustacean. And I'm having problems doing it to summon an angel. Do you, oh no, no, I don't even like, what if you did it wrong? Like, what if you, you, you know, you didn't use the right phrase and the angel just like, poof, you again. Like, what if, what if you summoned it at the wrong time and he showed up and like the time frame was, was off and you happened to be on the toilet and he was like, gotcha. You like, oh, it was one the time gotcha. I was trying to summon you, bro. Maybe one like, of the techniques is noodling, noodling an angel. Putting your fingers yeah. out. Like- you see what I'm saying? <laughs> exactly. You don't even know what part of angel you're touching. You, these are all problems that you got to deal with. You got to sort this out. Like it takes a whole another degree of hubris to think that you really can summon that type of a spirit and control it. But sure. it's and going back to what Hank is saying, that's also why you know if people believe that, that's also why Gnosticism tears down tears down God to basically non-existent you know it's it's this divine light but they don't really tell you where the the light source comes from just that it appeared in nothingness because if there is no god and then you think these angelic beings are angelic beings you think you have some type of authority or control over them because you're an individual god you know what i mean and that's especially dangerous too because it's something i had uh, i was saying earlier in the podcast is you don't really know what you're talking to you know there's no there's biblical descriptions of angels and sometimes, most of the time, actually, they're not even humanoid. You know, they have like multiple wings and eyes and all that. So if what you're seeing is like a humanoid looking angel, it may not be an angel, but it could potentially be a demon, you know, and right. that's 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 really lost on a lot of people because you don't have the authority, like we've said, to to summon those. And what's interesting with that going on the whole fa- false prophets thing I think it's a uh, Matthew five twenty five. I want to say where it says uh, not to be deceived for many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and mislead many. And I think that's really interesting that that's the whole uh, headliner for the uh, new age religion is the Christ consciousness. And I think there's going to be many false prophets coming out of the woodworks with that saying they've uh, received the Christ consciousness or they've obtained enlightenment and are really going to start leading people astray, man. There was actually one episode of uh, on Blurry Creatures. I, I forgot the title, but it was when they were talking to a uh, a woman who was in the in the occult, and then she found Jesus. And uh, I don't know if you heard that one. It's probably like an episode or two before uh, adopting uh, Anton Levy's daughter. 
Yeah. Okay. So one thing she was talking about was she was uh when she was talking about this experience, these uh um uh, astral projection experiences she was having, she uh talked she was talking to a witch for a while who uh did like remote healing. And uh, this is about the time in her life where she started realizing, like, hey, this is probably something I really shouldn't be uh, diving too too deep with um, when she started finding Christ. But she said in her interview that the woman she was talking to who did the remote healing uh, summit would have Jesus bring Jesus along to heal people. And that's really where she had the turning point where she's like, you can't just call Jesus don't work like that. You can't just summon exactly. him to come. Yeah, you know, but people really believe that, man. And that's he doesn't like... have a beeper. You just can't beep him. Yeah. <laughs> put up a Jesus signal in the sky and he comes to your aid. Yeah, you, like, you got a cross hold... up there. <laughs> oh, they yeah. need me. It's like Jason and Christopher discussed a few episodes back on their show to think that you have the audacity to summon the one Lucifer. Like that, mm, that, that you're right. special enough as a human being that you're going to get the one Lucifer. But if we could look into scripture for the false prophet debacle that we have, um, first John four, uh, the early, the first four, five, six verses really do a, a good job of laying out that, uh, to believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world, you know, mm-hmm. that you, in revelation i, I want to say it's in revelation that it tells us that the that that lucifer and his third of heaven's host that fell that they're going to appear to us as angels of righteousness and ministers of light beautiful beautiful creatures whereas the actual angels of the lord like lucas said and jason so eloquently put going to have you leaking on the ground <laughs> they're 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 nothing to you know the angels of the lord are fearful they're they're instruments of war is what they are they're not here to comfort us and carry you know little harps and and <laughs> bow and arrows to shoot through our butt cheeks and wear little right, robes right. and no they're here to do to do war right. against the people that actually want us to believe they're angels, the, these ministers of righteousness and angels of light that come to us as these most beautiful creatures or as somebody you might love that is no longer on this earth that has done passed on. What better way for you to let your walls down as somebody that has a belief of what the truth is if you're if you know that you're under attack, what better way to get you to let your guard down than to come to you as something that you would ultimately trust, something that's not gonna freak you the hell out and have you leaking on the ground as Jason <laughs> put. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, man. you you have to be on your guard. That's why we're the whole. There's a whole passage about there's an armor and a sword of God that he's given to us and you need to put it on and you need to learn how to use it because your, your eternal life depends on it. Mm-hmm. I think too, man, that's where people get caught, bro, is because I do believe like, I, I don't believe everything, every, every single thing people say, but I do believe there are some people who actually do see these things and do summon them. And the ones who 
do summon them, I think those entities allow themselves to be summoned to feed into that false narrative that that person has control. And then when it's time, they're going to turn on them. And I don't think people really pay attention to that because they're all caught up in the glitz and glam of, ooh, well, I can summon these things or, you know, I can do this, I could do that, I could heal people in the astral, what have you. You know what I mean? And they're they're honestly in for rude awakening because those things they're they're subservient to you now as a ploy and uh i don't think anybody who's into that is listening to this podcast but if somebody is next time you have an encounter with one of those entities tell them say jesus is lord if they can't do it just walk away buddy thank you <laughs> just exactly. walk just yeah. walk away they, dude exactly. they're running around acting like they're pokemon trainers thinking they can control yeah. these things absolutely dude absolutely so, mm-hmm. it must, it's almost like a uh if you've ever had a kid a little kid like try to lead you somewhere and they grab <laughs> yes. your finger and you're going yeah. along but in the kid's mind they really are controlling you I'm like you're yeah. not leading me anywhere i don't <laughs> i'm not going yes i am come here that is what i think it's like with, with most people when it comes to these spiritual entities but here's the real tragedy while people are so focused on trying to summon angels the the biblical offer is that the god of the universe extends an open-handed opportunity for us to talk with him on a daily basis. He doesn't Mm. have to be summoned. In fact, it's the exact opposite. He's normally begging. Talk to me. I'm thinking Beelzebub's a better offer, God. You know, I only have to kill three goats to get to him. I mean, your whole just talk to me every day. That's too good of an offer. I can't go with that. You know, his thing is just admit that you're a sinner, accept my son's offer for your sins, and we can chat all day long. It's crazy what we're willing to sacrifice for, what we're willing to accept as a species, just so we can get, so we can have it our way. You know, Burger King spirituality. spirituality. (laughs) Isn't it funny how people can pay for multiple subscriptions to like uh, Netflix, Stan, um, Disney Plus? Why can't they just have a subscription to God? (laughs) Like (laughs) they want the quick one off. They want the DVD version of it, but they can't just have the consistent trend of, hey, you know, you can talk to him, he's there for you, he's got your back, but instead I could just sacrifice three goats and I'm done. That's it. I've got everything I want. <laughs> because the goats aren't a relationship. Like, God requires something from you because it's a relationship. So right. when you're like, God, I want this, God might be like, that's not really good for you. Like, here you go again with these breaks, dude. Every time I ask you for something, <laughs> you come up with these half no's. Can I get a Yes. When you ask for something worthwhile, sure. Ah, the three goats did not require this guy. The three goats kind of just gave me what I wanted, and I didn't have to go through this back and forth with you. But I think that's the that's the real value of what's lost. You have a God that cares. You have a God that will say no, not because he's mean or not because he's vindictive or trying to, you know, put his his foot on your throat. He says no to protect you from things, or he says no to to give another opportunity for something much better and that's kind of hard to fathom when we get stuck on certain things like i'm not sure god if i ask you for a maserati what is better like i don't, I don't think you there's a better in that well the better is you won't kill yourself because if i give you a maserati you don't have self-control not to go too fast so the better is you get to continue living on with the mazda and not a maserati I'm like oh. Once again, God, <laughs> you and these gifts. But again, it's, it's that relational I, thing to grow you up and to to enrich the experience of life. And I think what Satan offered was such a, a get-rich-quick opportunity. You can be just like God. 
the ironic thing is we had so many of the things that Satan promised us in the garden. We already had them. You know, we had eternal mm-hmm. life. We had close. We weren't going to die. Like this whole thing, if you eat it, you won't die. Like we already weren't going to die. Like what's the hell <laughs> if I eat it, I won't die. Like that's a little trick there, Satan. I that's see a what good you point. did. <laughs> right? You like, know, it was all this life we, that, we promised. What's, what's we die had. mean? And he explained what die was. And they went, oh, I definitely can't have that. <laughs> Right. That, that's not you a know, good option. Everything that <laughs> tempted, everything Lucifer tempted Jesus with was of a physical, material nature. There was nothing mm-hmm. that Lucifer could offer to Jesus that Jesus didn't already have. Right. He just would have got it a different way. And exactly. I thought he wouldn't have had to go through the type of pain that he went through. But he he chose suffering to get the same thing. Like, I think it was interesting that Lucifer was like, I'll give you all the kings of, of the world. I was like, isn't that what you got on the back end with God? Like all <laughs> the nations of the world are put under your foot. All your enemies are underneath. Like it's the same thing. It's, it's but, back to what you spoke of earlier. It's that simple dipsy do flip a that just complete 180 of whatever God said. We're just going right? to divert. Oh, yeah. We're gonna give you the exact opposite of that. Shine it up a little, you know, like I'm glad Here we Satan are. didn't offer me those things because I don't I don't know I probably would have all y'all human beings I might have served y'all up for some some spinners on a, on a nice Maserati. <laughs> no, he was like, hey, I'm, I'm gonna give you 24 inch spinners and some hoes. Mm, this is a tempting <laughs> offer, Mister Lucifer. Yeah, I don't, I don't know, God. What what do you have, God? Let me let me see how this plays out here. Yeah, be like, so cool here's the Maserati. Oh, no, here's no. the monthly repayments. Um, there's no fuel in it. What's <laughs> <laughs> hilarious is I don't even like Maseratis. I don't know why this has been a thing for this whole example. But again, I think That's it's so funny. funny how how the enemy came at at Christ and how Christ refuted it. I think it's cool that he went right back to Scripture, which is yep. again what we were talking about. That's how you you defeat false prophecy. You have to be rooted in scripture. And what's so scary to me about that is that when scripture says there's a coming delusion, that even the elect, if the days aren't cut short, the elect will be deceived. Like that's a real scary proposition. That means that when this thing really kicks off, there's going to be not just solutions to problems that that you would be like, Hey, that actually sounds like a guy's solution it's going to be pitched in a voice and in phrasing where you're like, that even sounds like that might be how God would say it. Like, how do I avoid that level of deception? And I think it's impossible without a being really grounded in scripture. That's probably not the right order. And B you really need the Holy spirit. You need that personal connection so that you have the discernment to know the difference between right or wrong. Because if not, it's going to be so easy to get deceived and get caught up and fall for sure. the okie doke. And and like you said earlier, First um, John four, two and three explain it that all you have to do to really test the spirit, other than know what what to do with the with the being of in the word, is, is get them to confess that Jesus was the living in the flesh son of God. And if they can't do that or refuse to do that, then they're not of God. Right. 
It's really good litmus test right there. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you want to talk about trust in scripture. Well, tr- the scripture tells you to trust that if they can't do that, you shouldn't be messing with them. Exactly. It's like the spiritual bouncer effect, isn't it? Yeah. If you can say this, I'll let you in. Oh, you couldn't do it. You're out. Back on the line, fella. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and where do we see the the old, you can't get in unless I give you permission you know that's everywhere in well not everywhere but it's a, it's it's quite uh, quite quite Hot common topic. in an evil or supernatural world i think I mean, that's even, a uh, well even with god even with god it, it, that rule applies cuz i mean he tells you he's knocking on the door you just got to open it yeah but the different and I, I so where that started is I think that's a false little safety blanket for people who are in the occult. And the reason I say that is because scripturally, right, unclean spirits who they they're disembodied, right? So they're roaming the earth looking for a place to stay. And that place is people who don't have the spirit of God in them, right? Empty vessels. And they go into them and they possess them. So they could just do it. They don't need your permission because, you know, you are not you're not anybody to them. You, you know, you're not, you're not, you're not God. You, you don't command them. They're not afraid of you, but when you have God and you have the Holy spirit dwelling inside of you, they cannot come into you. Even if you, now, if you invite them in, then in that sense, possibly, I guess not that you would, because if you, you know, would invite an unclean spirit to dwell in you, you did you even have the Holy spirit to begin with sort of thing? You know what I mean? So sure. I think that's where that started. Yeah, because to me, like an unclean spirit, like they, they don't need your permission to enter your body if uh, if you're not, if you don't have a connection with God. You know, if you don't have that protection, uh, you know, who are you to say yes or no to whatever they want? Well, you say that and I instantly thought of, well, what about children? Because mm-hmm. I was raised in a, in, in, into believing that children, up until you reach the age of accountability, which isn't a set number, it's more of a, a measurement of your growth of within your life. You're maturing, and you know it's different for everybody. But once you hit that age, then pretty much the rules of God start applying to you. Then you then you need to start the whole plan of salvation and and all that. But up until that point, I've been taught that you're good. I don't believe that we're born into the sin of our fathers or our parents. I, true enough, because we're human, we're ultimately sinners inherently. But I feel like being up until you hit that age of accountability, you're good. Um, there's scripture that, that God and Jesus love children and that they get a pass pretty much. Mm-hmm. And That's so if you're innocence, saying, yeah, yeah. And so, my whole point to bring that up, Luca, was you said that it, that these spirits go to people that don't have that. Basically, it's a, vo- a vacuum they're filling, right? Mm-hmm. Well, how can somebody who's already been deemed innocent under the eyes of God be an empty vessel? Is my, I mean, it, you know, because that's the common common mm-hmm. uh, stigma around when you throw around possession. I mean, you go onto any. Netflix, Hulu, whatever, pick your poison. And there's 30 different movies about a child being possessed. Mm -hmm. So I just, how would that work under your line of logic? 
Not to be disrespectful or anything. No, I'm you're genuinely not, curious. No. no, no, you're good. Listen, you, like I told uh, John that one time when we were on your, your round table or your dugout, you're not going to offend me. And But to answer your question, that's a good point, and I never thought of it that way. So I actually don't have an answer for you, but I, I'm going to think about that. Because I actually didn't even – I never even thought of it that, that way. You actually brought up a brought up a really good point. Well, maybe it comes around full circle to to free will and up to a certain age or a certain mm-hmm. time in someone's life, they are protected through their innocence. And then some level of subconscious free will exists somewhere where God, God kind of takes the training wheels off and goes, now it's your turn. Off you go. That's a possibility. I don't know. That's a better so way a, of, a question, of explaining. Hey. Yeah, go ahead. Is it is it possible for, well, I don't want to say it that way. Are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we're sinners? Yes. <laughs> right answer. <laughs> I think I think that once once you hit that age of accountability, because to me the age of accountability represents that that moment where the light bulb turns on, where what you've been hearing in church really starts to make sense. You really start to understand that there are serious consequences to your actions, that there is a a set law that you need to be living by and that there are things you shouldn't be doing. And that when you do the things you shouldn't be doing now, that's called sin. And once you understand that you're sinning, now you need to reach out and ask and repent and ask for forgiveness and so on and so forth. Okay. So I think it's interesting, even right? though, because, because children will, will steal. Uh, you, you take a little kid to a, can, you mm-hmm. know, to a store, they're, they're going to see a candy bar. They're going to take candy bar. They're going right. to disobey their parents. You know, you two year olds aren't going to, that's what I'm getting at. No, they didn't. I don't think okay, so. See, so I would argue. Differently. I think, I, I, and I think from an age of accountability, I think just by the term accountability, it shows that they did wrong, but they're not charged for the wrong. Mm-hmm. They're not accountable well, for it. That's that's, but, and I guess I guess I'm trying to I, I'm I'm losing what I'm what I ultimately believe in transmission. But it's it, it's not that they don't do wrong. It's that okay. they don't do. It's not that it, it's that they're not responsible for their actions under the eyes of the Lord. Okay, if but that that's different. I, I would agree with yes, you. Yes, it that. is very different. And I, I, yeah, I, yeah. You, know, you got to forgive me. I'm just agree. some backwoods redneck from Arkansas, brother. I probably don't say everything. The oh, way no, man. You, you, are, you, are, you, are, you are good, man. I think these are the type of conversations you got to have because we have to, like we were talking about earlier, get down to refined terms, right? Exactly. And I think, you know, even in scripture, there's a point where it talked about how every man had sinned. But it wasn't charged to man the fact that they had sinned because the law wasn't in place yet, which is a very interesting Mm. thing because, all right, so you are sinning, but I'm not charging it to your account yet because you don't have the law. Likewise, I think when we're talking about accountability, yes, we sin and we sin because we are sinners. By nature, our, our actual nature is corrupted because of the fact that our federated head and Adam chose to disobey God and it carried out a generational curse that we all pick up on. Right. But our individual sins aren't charged to our account prior to us being accountable for it, because that wouldn't even be 
that that wouldn't make sense. And we serve a God that makes a lot of sense. He's very smart. You know, it wouldn't make sure. sense to charge a kid for something that you know they don't really know what they're doing. Exactly. They, they don't have the mental capacity for it. But your justice and holiness would would demand that you do have to account for it. You do have to recognize it. You do have to say, hey, that was wrong. Even though I'm not charging you for it, it still was wrong. That sure. being said, I think that when there are wrongs that are done, there are also consequences or things that happen even if those consequences are mitigated and not all consequences in a person's life, especially a child are directly the result of their own personal decisions. Some come by way of what they've inherited from their parents, even if they're even if they're not at the age of accountability. So that being said, is it possible for a child who has not reached the age of accountability to be subjected to spiritual forces? I don't want to go as far as saying possession, but let's say, oppression or demonization. I think we have, we have examples in scripture of children that were oppressed by demons where Jesus had to step in and actually render deliverance. Now I'm not suggesting that the reason the demon was there was due to the child's individual sin. I'm just saying that we do have an example of a child having to be delivered from demonic influence and they were a kid. So I think it's definitely possible from Luca's perspective for demons to gain access to children for any number of reasons and not necessarily because of the moral failings of the child. I got you. I can, I can buy that. And again, these conversations become so much bigger the more we delve into them. Gentlemen, we're coming up on over two hours now. I can see Christopher's getting a little (laughs) bit sleepy over there. (laughs) So we'll, we'll finish off with this tonight that um, remember that, when it comes to all these conversations, they're happening for a reason. You be the gap filler. If we're rebuilding that wall, you place that burnt stone and let's rebuild and let's get back to where the word was once in the beginning. We can rebuild it. We can push back against these secret societies. We can bring about real positive change in the world. Uh, message to Davey Wavy. I wasn't throwing shade at you, brother. I was just a bit shaken and shook by the potential of conversation that was in that podcast. Um, Maybe I need to re-listen to it. Maybe I interpreted it wrong. Um, Let's have a conversation, Davey. Uh, Hank, you're new to the show as a guest. Would you like to close out the episode with a prayer? Yeah, sure. Oh, cool. (laughs) Oh, our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day. And we come to you thanking you for your son, the Christ who died on the cross for the remission of our sins. Dear Lord, I just want to thank you for bringing us together this evening to have this wonderful conversation and in hopes that somebody might take this information that we were able to gather and use it for their daily lives. Dear Lord, you know the ailments of this world, and I just pray that you would be with those who need you the most. And forgive us, Lord, of our sins. For it's in the Christ's name we pray. Amen. 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 Now to brother. All right, gentlemen, catch you all next time.